Welcome to You Need a Coach Bitch with Chris Hale. I'm your host, Chris Hale. I'm a certified life coach that helps queer creatives take their passion, turn it into a purpose, and get paid. If you're looking to make an impact on the world with your work by dismantling internalized oppressive thought systems, by using coaching, spirituality, and a lot of cursing, you are in the right place. So let's get to work. Hey friends, how are we all doing? There has been a lot going on in the world lately, and I know I have had a lot of feels, and I'm sure you have too. So my best advice is to take the time that you need to care for yourself, whatever that looks like, but also continue to show up for your communities with your creations. We really need each other's gifts right now in the world. So whether you are channeling them into action and advocacy, or you're providing much-needed escape through your art, people need you. There are so many ways to be of service in times like these. And like I know for myself, I still want the relief from the 24-hour news cycle. Like it's so easy to always be like plugged in, but that's not really the the most productive way to spend our time because it's not going to inspire action. So I'm super happy that I'm still getting like all the heartstopper content that my heart can dream of, like on Instagram. The algorithm is not disappointing me. And that gives me like the rest and disconnect from like the horrors of the world so that I can actually enter back into them and do the work I want to do there. And this podcast is one of those ways that I do that work because I know the tools I teach here can have an impact on the way people process what is going on right now. So it's the very beginning of Pride Month when this is being released, and it feels like very much like we need to invoke the spirit of the original Pride, which was a riot, because there's a lot to fight against right now. Uh, We got the very real possibility of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and what that means for people with uteruses, the anti-trans legislation that's happening that don't gay, so that don't say gay, uh, mass shootings every day. Like it can seem like, especially as queer creatives, we should be taking a back seat and not be visible while the world deals with like much more important things. But this is the time, especially this month, where being visible is the greatest form of protest. And there are some very real and ingrained reasons why we might shy away from that. And we're going to focus in on like one in particular today. Today's episode was inspired by a quote from a tweet that went viral back in 2020 from Alexander Leon. Um, And it speaks to one of the central issues of being queer in a white supremacist heteronormative patriarchy. And that is sacrificing our identity for our safety. And it can feel very unsafe for us right now. And when we do show up, we worry a lot. Like, are we saying the right thing? How will others react? Am I going to get canceled? And these things are like real and it's what we're dealing with. And they can be really triggering. So one of, one of the things we often resort to is people pleasing and hiding to sort of build an illusion of safety. So that's what we're going to dive in today on is people pleasing and how that's affecting the way that you're maybe showing up in the world creatively and what we can do about it. 
So this quote from Alexander Leon hits the nail on the head, and but it definitely leaves like more to expand on with the hows and the whys and ultimately the effect of being queer living in a world that is like so desperately trying to hang on to all its oppressive structures so that we can't thrive. So the quote goes like this. Queer people don't grow up as ourselves. We grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to minimize humiliation and prejudice. The massive task of our adult lives is to unpick which parts of ourselves are truly us and which parts we've created to protect us. So good. And this is the thing. We are all playing roles in this society. And toxic masculinity affects cis men just as badly as it does everyone else. They just happen to benefit from it more than everyone else. So they aren't necessarily as inclined to seek out the truth of who they are. So it's not to disrupt the status quo, which is keeping them safe. But the status quo does not keep us safe. We have to learn how to color within the lines of it, right? Where we can to try and safeguard ourselves as best we can when it seems like the whole world is trying to eradicate us. So we we develop a bunch of defense mechanisms like people-pleasing and sometimes codependency to create this illusion of safety. And then we end up filtering our work through these mechanisms. So first, I want to take a minute to just sort of differentiate between codependency and people-pleasing. When someone is codependent, they are hyper-focused on other people and their moods, emotions, and actions. And this most likely developed from living in an environment where a parent or guardian was unable to provide mental, emotional, or potentially even physical safety. So the work of Melody Beattie really, like, unpacks this. She has several books on this topic if you want to know if you have codependent tendencies. And also know that no two codependents are the same. But if you're interested in a deeper look at like that and the possible tendencies, I suggest checking out her book, Codependent No More. I've definitely had my own journey with like unpacking my codependency, but I'm really not an expert on it. It can be at play in these situations. And I just kind of wanted to take a second to like pick that apart. Or I just wanted to take a second to like identify that because this might be what's going on for you. People-pleasing is one of the things codependents might do, but I wouldn't necessarily say all people-pleasing and all people-pleasers are codependents or codependent like behaviors. And all people who identify as codependents aren't necessarily in codependent relationships where they're assuming a caretaker role to support another person's inability to take care of themselves. So you might have codependency to, codependent tendencies, but also like be in a more like a relationship that doesn't, where that's not triggered for you, where you don't feel the need to express that. With people pleasing, right? It's when we, when you forego your own needs and desires and prioritize others with the hope that they will see you a certain way, right? Mostly so that they'll like you. And your safety might not be in jeopardy in this situation, right? It might just feel like a threat because it doesn't feel good for people to not like us, but it's not necessarily going to hurt you if someone doesn't like you. And not every time we acquiesce to another's desires are we people-pleasing, right? It really comes down to the why. What's driving this action of acquiescing, of saying yes, of um, 
pretending to like things when we don't, right? If it's some iteration of like, it's going to hurt them, they'll feel bad if I don't do this, and it's going to be my fault, and they're going to blame me, and they're not going to like me, that might be people-pleasing. And people-pleasing is lying, You're basically like telling people you like things that you maybe don't like things or you act in ways that are not authentic to you so that other people approve and validate you. And this is one of the ways that we censor ourselves in our own work or in the way that we want to show up online, especially at times like these. And this is really significant for queer people because as queer people, we're taught that how we show up and what we want is not acceptable. Like our basic desires are considered unacceptable and inappropriate. So, right, we have a tendency because of that just to go out of our way to make others comfortable, to help ensure like our own comfortability or safety, right? Like that's the way we've learned how to feel good in situations is like, let me focus on this other person and make sure they're good so that then I can feel a little bit more at ease. So we become like expert chameleons, right? Like we can code switch from like gay to straight. Um, We can take the lilt out of our, our voice. We can adjust our walks. We use like more gender identifying vocabulary, right? Like all of a sudden you're like, hey, what's up, bro? Like I've never said bro in my life and please don't ever call me that. Um <laughs> But this comes about, right, because the world around us is consistently telling us, like, that we can't be who we are. Like, I was literally told by my dad that, like, it was my fault people were picking on me because of the way I acted. So all during junior high, whenever I was forced to be segregated from the girls, I, like, tried to adopt, like, this, like, monosyllabic, monotone way of speaking, right? Cis men tend to speak with less vocal, like, variation in pitch. Um, And let's be honest, I was not good at blending, but I tried to do what I could, right? It was all about survival. But this can definitely hinder, like, our ability to show up creatively in the world, right? Like if I'm hiding these parts of myself and I'm constantly spending my energy focused on that, then I don't have as much energy to put into creation. And this kind of goes back to what I was talking about last week with like strengths and weaknesses, right? Like if if I'm trying to get rid of parts of myself that are inherent, that's taking up so much space and time. And what do I have left, right, to focus into creation? And it gets even worse, right, if you have other marginalized identities or, like, specific, like, cultural norms from, like, your culture influencing you. Like, it can be super hard to actually identify what is true for you. So that, like, that quote brings us back to, like, all right, what's the work? Like, what is the work that we have to do to kind of start to, like, decide which parts of us are actually true to us? One of the things that can really help sometimes, right, is, is like, moving to larger cities that are more queer-friendly. And if that's available to you, right, that can help you start to kind of, like, find yourself and find like more representation out there in the world and become parts of communities. But then we are met with internalized homophobia present in our own communities. So like we're always kind of dealing with this. Now we're forced to confront belonging or like our lack of belonging from our own in-group. 
So it can take a lifetime to unravel who we truly are, but we that's what we get. We get our entire life. And I'm not sure that we ever really arrive on the exact definition of us, right? Because who we are is ever evolving and it should be, right? We shouldn't be hoping to stay the same person for our entire lives. So how do you find your own voice and your authentic self, given that you've probably spent much of your life hiding who you truly are? Sometimes, like even from yourself, (laughs) I think starting with your thoughts about you is where it's at. So your identity is basically just what you think about yourself. Actually, what you think about yourself is your whole relationship with yourself. It's it's who you are. It's how you feel about yourself. It's all of that, right? And basically, all of our thoughts about ourselves are not facts. So that means you actually truly get to decide to think anything you want about yourself. And I know, stay with me, because some of you are like, but there are indisputable facts about me that like just are, right? You would, if we sat down and had a conversation, you would just report them to me like you're telling me it's the weather, like it's 72 degrees outside. But trust me, most of what you think about yourself is just stuff you either made up or someone else made up and you adopted. And even if we get more specific and we're like things like I'm tall or I'm blonde or I'm smart, I'm an anxious person, right? If it's possible that anyone else could think the opposite or something else about you, then it's not true. It's not a fact. So if we go with the example of being tall, like compared to who? For most of us, there is someone out there that's taller than us. There's definitely people taller than me. But like my mom, she's super short. She's 4'11". She probably thinks I'm tall, but I'm only 5'7". Definitely not tall compared to my husband who's six feet, right? So what's the reference point, right? It's not a fact. What the fact would be, would be my height and numbers, right? And the numbers are just neutral. There are no opinions, right? Or descriptions when we talk about numbers. Another one might be like if you identify as someone who's a smart person, right? But like in what areas? How are you measuring these smarts, right? Is it your grades in school, Um, That doesn't take into account other kinds of intelligence, like emotional intelligence. So what is the barometer we are using, right? So you can't just label yourself smart or stupid in this like blanket way. So this is what I mean about the fact that you get to decide like what you want to think about yourself. And you might be wondering, why is this so important? It's because we tend to think that we are just who we are, right? And that's something that's fixed, But there's very little about us that we could not choose to think differently about, even if we don't actually change it. Like I could not change my height. I can't change my height. (laughs) Um, But I could choose to think about my height differently, right? Especially if like I tell myself that I'm short and I feel bad when I I say that. Like I, I get to choose to decide. I get to decide that I want to think something differently about those numbers, So this isn't just about those kinds of things like, you know, about our height or our weight or our hair or our intelligence, but it's also about you as a creator. How do you define your role in the world? Who do you serve? What is your work about? Right? You're making it all up. So we want to practice deciding based on our own thoughts and our own desires and and our opinions, not someone else's. But our conditioning is going to tell us that it's a better idea to look outside of ourselves and create for others. But this is never the answer, right? 
not if you truly want to serve your people. It's not safer to create with their potential judgment in mind. So a fun exercise that you can do is to write all of your thoughts about you, right? And if you've never challenged any of these thoughts, we're going to do that, right? Challenge your own thoughts about you. See if you think that that what, what you write down is absolutely true, right? I've spent so much time challenging my thoughts about me. I've always had this thought that like I'm difficult, but that was something given to me by people that were incapable of meeting my needs at the time where I was actually dependent on them for many of my needs. And it was easier for them to tell me that I was the problem instead of admitting that they were not able to create a safe, loving, and secure environment for me. I had to be the problem. But like I've done a lot of work to accept that I'm allowed to want and need things that feel good and safe for me, that I'm allowed to prioritize my safety, even if I'm in a place where I'm like catastrophizing and can't find my way back to a stable line of thinking, I still get to decide that like, okay, this doesn't feel safe for me. I don't have to suffer in silence so that I don't bother someone else. I'm a grown ass adult, right? I don't need anyone else to do that for me, but I'm allowed to ask for what I need and to do what I need to do for myself. That could look like one time for me when uh, we walked into a crowded, loud restaurant like on a Friday night, like right after restrictions were lifted in COVID. Um, and I said I couldn't eat there. I had to walk out. My nervous system was so overwhelmed and I didn't want to have to do the work to regulate it. I just wanted to have a nice meal with less work on my part. So this is one of the ways that we start to like like show up and advocate for ourselves for what is right for us where we stop putting the the priority on someone else and whether or not like well do they really want to eat there are they going to be upset it's like nope this has got to be a no for me right now so i want you to take a moment and consider what your answers are to the following questions what thoughts do you think about yourself Who are you? What thoughts do you think about your body? What do you think about yourself based on other people's thoughts about you? What do you think about yourself compared to others? What do you think about your abilities? What do you think about your strengths? What do you think about your weaknesses? So all of what you just wrote out, or if you're just listening to this, like driving or walking or, or on a train or something, right? Like these are your thoughts about you and they're all optional. They're all optional. You get to decide which ones of them you want to continue to think and which ones you want to decide aren't serving you. If you notice that you have a lot of negative thoughts about yourself, I give you permission to totally rewrite the story you tell in a way that empowers you. Yeah, some parts of you were developed for protection, but that does not mean you can't intentionally choose them moving forward, right? So I'm not here to like take away anything that you identify with that's actually like that you want to keep. I'm just giving you the option to choose those thoughts this time instead of just believing whatever whatever default thought is in there and letting that thought run your life. So like I said, sometimes... We want to consider our own safety. I brought this up last week. But is it necessary? 
in that moment. Because our thoughts create our results. And I can't remember like the first time I heard this quote, but it's like super popular, like in the fitness world, right? So like from my time at Soul Cycle, I think this definitely came up a lot. <laughs> um, but it's whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you are right. So sometimes we want to believe we can't. Like, like I couldn't in the restaurant. Like it's like I had the capacity to regulate my nervous system, but I didn't want to. So in that moment, it's like, no, I can't do that right now. So that was true for me. That was a way of taking care of myself. So if we know that your beliefs about you are always going to show up in the results that you create in your life, and you're seeing that you're letting the thoughts and feelings of others dictate how you think and feel and act, it might be time to start challenging that. What thoughts are you willing to give up so that you can show up the way you want right now and have the impact on your community that you want to have? And as I said earlier, you don't have to feel pressured to show up. That would just be another example of people-pleasing, right? But take care of you and decide how much you are capable of giving of yourself while factoring in the mind management it might require to do so. Unlearning these defense strategies can be tough work, and it's going to take on your it's going to take a toll on your energy. So be mindful of the amount of recovery you're going to need while doing that. So that's what I have for you today, friends. Um, I wish everybody a safe and happy and healthy Pride Month. Keep showing up. Keep being an example of what's possible for other queer folks in the world. And have an amazing, amazing week. If you are loving what you're hearing here on You Need a Coach Bitch, please subscribe, like, and share with your friends. And if you want more information on how you can work with me one-on-one, go to theonlychrishale.com or you can find me on Instagram at theonlychrishale.com.